Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage. Mark O'Neill has spent decades in China and is an expert on the region. Yet it was his mother-in-law who told him about 12 men from the area she came from, who were pioneers in China from the 1850s onwards. Mark decided to do some research, and in the next two programs, we talk about the book that came out of it. The Second Tang Dynasty, the Twelve Sons of Fragrant Mountain, who changed China, contains the biographies of these men from Zhongshan in the late Qing and early Republican periods, who played major roles in the worlds of business, education, law, medicine, and the military. Mark begins by telling me about chats with the mother-in-law. Well, I was sitting with my mother-in-law and family members in a restaurant, and she was reminiscing about her childhood. And she said that there were many famous people in her home village, for example, Tang Shaoyi, who lived opposite. And I was very embarrassed because I'd lived in China for quite a few years by then, and I didn't know Tang Shaoyi was. So I went home and I did some research and found out he was the first prime minister of the Republic of China, and he had a very distinguished public career. So the next lunch we had, I said to mother-in-law, "Well, who else was there in the village as well as Tang Shaoyi?" So she started to reminisce about the other people, and I discovered that there were perhaps thirty people, not just from the village, but the, the area, who were all worthy of, of writing about. And the most famous is Dr. Sun Yat-sen, but he's too famous. So many people have written about him. So from this, I had the idea to write a book about people from that area. So I picked twelve in different fields.、Uh, some had been to Japan, some to America, some to Australia, some to Hong Kong. So they had different sectors, different experiences. So the readers could have a, a wide variety of topics. Twelve、uh, men. I'm afraid, yes.、Uh, at that time, China was not an equal society. Women's opportunities were extremely limited. So, I'm afraid they were all men. But I'm sure, without their wives, they would not have achieved what they did. So, these twelve men came from which village? Well, I shouldn't say village. I should say Xiangshan, which means fragrant mountain, and it's currently Zhongshan. Because after the death of Dr. Sun Yat-sen, they changed the name to Zhongshan. So they all came from Zhongshan, which is a county in Guangdong Province,、uh, of which my、uh, mother-in-law's village is a part. And several of them came from her exact village, and they're all called Tang. That's her family name. And Zhongshan has provided more immigrants than any other county in China. So this is the reason why it's such a special place, because these twelve people all had experiences outside of China, and then they returned to China and they used what they learned for the service of the country. And we're at the end of the Qing Dynasty, when China is a closed country, it is very difficult to go abroad. So they had skills and knowledge which other Chinese didn't have. And that's why they were so special at that time. The number of immigrants was higher from this particular county. Is there any reason why did they all just decide together that they were going to go abroad? Well, because Zhongshan is next to Macau, so they had contact with Macau. They had contact with the outside world, and、uh, many Zhongshan people had gone to Hawaii, to California for, for the gold rush, gone to Australia, gone to Southeast Asia. So they had links to the outside world, which other Chinese didn't have, and so they made use of these links, 
and were able to go abroad when other Chinese were not able to go. Now, the second reason is, is as you'll read in the book, that the first person I mentioned, Mr. Wing Yong, he was the first Chinese to study at Yale University, and he then set up a program to take Chinese to America. So several of the 12 went on this program, which was organized by Mr. Wing Yong. So they uh, went to secondary school in America, they lived in the houses of American families, they went to university, and then they came back to China, and then they played their part in the different fields. So in amongst these 12, you were saying that you picked them also based on their different skills? Well, Mr. Wing Yong is the first one, so I picked him because he was the first student in Yale. Uh, he had very extraordinary experiences there. He came back. Then we have politicians, we have diplomats, we have business people, we have educators. Of course, they are working for themselves. I mean, they're making money for themselves, but they were each a pioneer in their fields in China. For example, one of them went to Japan and studied law and came back, and he then became a pioneer in the setting up of China's modern legal system. He wrote many papers. He advised the government on setting up a legal system. Then we had Mr. Ma Yingbiao, who went, who went to Australia, and he set up uh, in the retail fruit and vegetable business there, and he had a good business in Australia. But he came back to Hong Kong once for a visit, and he met Dr. Sun Yat-sen, and he was inspired by him. And Sun Yat-sen said to him, business people can change China. And Mr. Ma hadn't thought of that. And he came back to Hong Kong for business reasons, but also for patriotic reasons. And he became the founder of China's uh, retail industry. First of all in Hong Kong, then in Guangzhou, then in Shanghai. And the sincere store in Hong Kong is still here, and that's what he founded. Yes, that's another Hong Kong heritage I'd like to do, some of these uh, department stores that go back so many decades. But uh, in terms of these 12, as you say, they were pioneers in a variety of fields. So what sort of time frame are we talking? Well, uh, Mr. Wing Hong went to America in the 1850s. So we start there and we go up through the end of the Qing Dynasty, that's 1911 and then we continue until 1920s and 1930s. So that's the span of the book. So with your mother-in-law, you would have sat and had various conversations with her. And uh, in front of us, we in fact have a, a big article in Apple Daily, which is uh, today, and, and a great photo of you with your mother-in-law there. What did, you, what did she think about your interest in, in her life growing up? Was she quite complimented? Uh, yeah, I mean, she she always said that because of all the things that happen in China, the Cultural Revolution and all the campaigns and so forth, many of these old records and photos were all lost. And so she was uh, very happy that I took an interest and wrote the book. And last month we went back to the village, I took 15 copies, and we went to visit her former classmates from school, some of her relatives, people that she knew, and we went to see them, and then we did a, a, bit, a deep bar. We presented a copy of the book, which, which I signed. And she was very, very happy uh, about this, to reconnect to the village in this way. So, yeah, I think she's delighted with the outcome. Within the village itself, is there sort of aspects of, the, I mean, a number of these men, would they have brought wealth back, or did they leave their villages forever in order to pursue their own careers? 
Well, the village today is really unrecognisable from when mother-in-law was there because it's part of Zuhai. Zuhai is an SEZ, and I would say 80% of the population are not locals. They're people from Sichuan or Heilongjiang, or they come from all over China. So the main language there is not Cantonese anymore. It's it's Putonghua. So in that sense, a lot of the past has been lost. Um, there is uh, the former house of Tang Shaoyi, the, the birth house, and then a house that he lived in. There is a very good museum to a man called Tang Guo An, who's one of the twelve in the book. Um, and parts of the old village are still standing. But I have to say, if you ask most residents about the twelve, I'm afraid to say they they wouldn't have heard of any of them because I say they're not from the locality. And these twelve are not included in the school textbooks, so they would have no occasion to, to know about them. Which, from my aspect, is another reason to write the book, because even though it's a foreigner writing, you know, the, these people should be written about. So, who was Tang Guoan? Tang Guoan was one of the people who went in this program of Mr. Wing Yung to America. He was a very, very bright student.、Uh, he was in Columbia University studying law. But unfortunately, the Qing government changed its mind and recalled all the students because the hardliners thought that they were being changed from Chinese into Americans. So he was only able to complete one year. So he came back, and they came back to Shanghai, and they were put in a special, not detention center, but a confined place, and they were brainwashed for six months to cleanse them of this Americanism and make them Chinese again, and. He was then ordered to become a doctor, and sent to medical school. And he protested that he was not qualified. He was not interested in that. He didn't want to do that. That was not his skill set. But the government paid no attention. So he was then sent to this medical school, and he ran away. And he was fined by the government. Unfortunately, a, a foreigner paid the fine for him. So then he went to work for another of the twelve. Who was in the, set up this big mining coal mine company? So he worked for him for several years, and then he moved to Shanghai, and then began to do what he was equipped to do, which was he became a journalist.、Uh, he campaigned on many issues. He was very strong、uh, against opium. He took part in the first international opium conference, which was held in Shanghai at that time. He gave a very famous speech. This is the most famous speech he gave in his life, and he talked in English. It was reported by newspapers all over the world about the impact of opium on China. And then he joined the foreign ministry, and he was then involved in a repeat of the Wing Hung program, setting up a program to send Chinese to America. And he was in charge of this program, and it was it was because of this he set up Tsinghua University. As a sort of preparatory school for Chinese students before they went to America to ensure they were well enough prepared. Tsinghua University, which is in Beijing. Yes. So, so he is the first. He's the founder of this very important university, and since then until now, it's trained many of China's top leaders, both in the nationalist period and and now in the in the communist period. Hu Jintao, for example, was a. Graduate of Tsinghua University, so、um, his his contribution to China is 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 outstanding.
Now, with these, it's interesting that you should comment on the westernization of these students. So were they going, I mean, when they went to America, they would have been in their uh, long cheap hours with a queue. Did they then start, you know, chopping their hair and also uh, adopting Western dress? Well, that's a very good question. I mean, I mean, of course, this was a big problem for them because they were sent there by the government. Uh, they were paid for by the government. There were government officials in America watching them. So they had to be careful. But on the other hand, in the American society, if you wear chipao and you have a, a pigtail, people will laugh at you. So they had to decide what to do. So Tang Shaoyi had the best uh, decision, in my view, which is he cut off his pigtail, but he had a, a, a fake one in his drawer. So whenever the government officials came to inspect, inspect them, he put the pigtail on and he kept it on as long as they were there. And then when they left, he took it off again. Because if you kept it on, um, Americans would laugh at you, your fellow students would pull it all the time and mock you. And so, it, it, no, it wasn't really convenient. When they were in the U.S., I mean, now you've described a number of the, there's a number of them with the surname Tang. Mm. Are they all Tang? And, and you've also said about the Second Tang Dynasty. So can you describe some of those terms? Well, the, the name of mother-in-law's village is Tang Jawan, which means the Bay of the Tang family. So in this village, there are only two names, Tang and Liang. So many people were called Tang. I mean, it's a very common name in, in China. Now, for the book title, of course, we've got to come up with something catchy. I mean, if we say 12 people from Xiangshan, <laughs> you know, where's Xiangshan? What are you talking about? You know, so I sat down with the publisher and uh, uh, we came up with this name. And of course, the Tang, the first Tang dynasty was the period when China was the most powerful, the most advanced country in the world. So it has a very good resonance for Chinese people. My thanks to Mark O'Neill, author of The Second Tang Dynasty, The Twelve Sons of Fragrant Mountain Who Changed China. Next week, Mark tells me about the first Prime Minister of the Republic of China and why steam engines weren't allowed. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage.